welcome into Full Screen Podcast. I'm your host, Kira Astor, and joining me today, as always, out here ready to give an eight-minute standing ovation to Olivia Rodrigo's new album. It's Raven Ebert. How are you, Raven? I'm good. I'm hoping that people aren't, for example, giving anything else to Miss Rodrigo because according to the internet, people have just forgotten how to be at concerts or at like live performances and stuff um there's pictures and videos of artists getting like smacked in the face with random things being thrown at them um so if an ovation is all that's being given to uh miss rodrigo good for her get it because that she she had a song she had a song called good and it had a four in it because it was extreme for the cool kids with the Z. I'm sure that she's going to be cutting a check to Radiohead pretty soon. <laughs> Alan is a Radiohead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, there was a lot of uh, anticipation for her second album because she has such a good first album and no one is watching any movies or TV right now. So it's all about music. And um, all about music, baby. I, I appreciate a good Radiohead reference. I, I started listening to Vampire and I was like, oh, is this the the, the cover of Creep <laughs> by Scala? <laughs> oh, no, it's 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 a Olivia it's Miss Rodrigo. Rodrigo. I yeah. I was going to talk about so many things. I was going to talk about Taylor Swift being a prophet. You know what I mean? With the latest situation going on right now and her song, Mr. Perfectly Fine. The bullshittery of standing ovations at Venice Film Festival. Just everything gets a standing ovation because... You know, I think people, people have just forgotten how to be outside. So they're just... People, exactly. And people are like, wait, do I stop clapping now? No? Okay. And they keep going. Right. I was going to talk about the succession drama that was revealed by CNBC at Disney with the Bobs. What an article. Incredible. But, Raven, something more urgent popped up. The Rotten Tomatoes expose in, I believe, Variety. Are we surprised? Are the two of us surprised? Let's be honest. Here's the thing, what they go into, we already talked about. Boom. Should we reach out to them? (laughs) I I don't think it was like a particularly um, well-hidden fact. I don't think we had to do a lot of investigative reporting to be able to uncover that. We just are experienced in working in tech that has financial stakeholders that go up to like large conglomerates and massive multinational corporations. So we were like, yeah. We, we know the story and we watch the actual TV show Succession. So we know <laughs> we a know lot. Okay. We do. Uh, we just pop in to say, uh, yo, what's up? Uh, let's, yeah. get the, let's get the numbers going. <laughs> all bankers all the time, you know? I do want to read this quote. Um, Lane Brown is the writer of the piece of this investigation into Rotten Tomatoes. And one of the quotes that stood out to me, it's uh, about Rotten Tomatoes, quote, It's math stinks. Scores are calculated by classifying each review as either positive or negative, and then dividing the number of positives by the total. That's the whole formula. 
Every review carries the same weight, whether it runs in a major newspaper or a Substack with a dozen subscribers. And it goes into actually talking about how studios are uh, paying paying certain critics as well. This certain, what is it? Top critics. Here's the thing, all of this we talked about already. And what a, yep. do you, rem- can, can we plug our episode? Because we go really deep into talking about all uh, ratings ecosystems, Letterboxd, you know, Metacritic, uh, and of course, Rotten Tomatoes. And the, the holy grail of uh, very, very subjective calculations of uh, critical reviews. IMDb. I would say that oh. if there's one mess that's a hotter flaming pile of mess than Rotten Tomatoes, it would be IMDb. But um, yeah. I feel like yeah. IMDb doesn't Tomatoes pretend... Tomatoes is close. Yeah. IMDb doesn't pretend to be like objective. It's like, yeah, it's, it's users. Duh. But because Rotten Tomatoes has that like critic association with it, where it's supposed to be some type of like objective rubric about the quality of a movie, or yeah, I believe um, it's our third episode. Second, just looked oh, it up. Our Summer blockbusters, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and the ratings platforms conundrum. And it was top of mind because it was right after the Rings of Power fiasco that was happening on IMDb. So we thought we'd dive deep into the topic. Great article. We can link it. We'll probably link our second episode as well. Um, but this is a meaty topic. This is an important topic. And I think this is the time to so- sort these things out, you know, when there's there's a little bit of silence, you know, right now in the industry. And I think there's a lot to sort out that's messy. Before we get into our topic for today, Let's recap the deets of our social meds. Uh, so if our audience want to send us more TikToks of, you know, PR strategy lectures into uh, divorce statements, for example. Oh my God, yeah. We're actually not on TikTok, so you're just going to have to send us those links to TikTok on our um, Twitter. It's always going to be Twitter. Twitter and Instagram at FullScreenPod. Um, you can catch our episodes on YouTube as well at FullScreenPodcast. Or um, reach out to us via email at FullyScreened at gmail.com. Uh, I, I know that we don't get a lot of um, ideas that are not within sort of the side guys because we are very focused on what's within the pulse but if there is something that is like a long buried topic that you'd like us to cover uh please send us a shout out in any one of these mediums we'd love to hear from you yeah yeah <laughs> all right today's topic we're diving deep into the oft overlooked but essential corner of the streaming ecosystem the curated services and mostly curated by humans, right? This is not algorithms. Um, I do want to set the stage of our one true king, the patron saint of this podcast, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> in Blessed 2021. be his name, Marty. In Marty, we trust. In 2021, writing for Harper's, he mentioned his disdain for algorithms and in relation to streaming services and content. Flash, a quote, flash forward to the present day as the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator, content, end quote. 
as consumers struggle to find content or stories, you know, as Marty would hate us for saying content, in an increasingly uh, fragmented streaming ecosystems, streamers, audience for streaming services want more. And that, that's the theme we'll continually return to. Streamers are also increasingly turning to curated collections. We see this actually experimented on Hulu, Netflix, you know, during like BLM movements or uh, Black History Month or AAPI Month, we'll see like curated hubs actually pop up on top and get great engagement because I've seen them over and over for three years. Um, Horowitz survey recently, actually, I think in July this year actually revealed that audience for streamers or streaming services are actually leaning more and more towards the curated hubs. What I found interesting, Raven, was that eight in 10 black viewers and six in 10 Asian viewers are especially engaged with content that's curated. Let's As get into that a little bit. Yeah. Because obviously one of the, the highlights of having a curated I, I would say collection rather than just a, a streaming service. Um, but the idea of looking at something that is recommended by other people obviously uh, means that you trust the judgment of the person that's doing it for you. So uh, I'd love to be able to dive into that a little bit more. It's, it's, it's meaty topic today. So let's take, let's, let's get started. Let's take a look into two of the biggest curated services, uh, Criterion Channel and Mubi. You ready? Let's do it. Criterion Collection. What do these services offer? Do they offer anything? Let's find out. I would love to, by the way, attend one of these screenings with Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman. I feel like he is the exact type of person who would sign up for both of these services because he thought it would impress Diane. So <laughs> let's let's get into that that's a little bit. That's so true. That could be an episode. I know, because I think, again, the aura around curated streaming services, that it's not about movies, it's about cinema. And mm -hmm. I sort of do appreciate that, especially in this climate, because we do tend to think of things as content. And the curated streaming service is very much about pulling focus away from that narrative and saying, these are actually experiences, these are stories in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Scorsese. So we'll start yes. with the first one we want to talk about is movie. I'm going to drop this little nugget for you. And I want you to tell me if this perfectly lines up with what you'd envisioned for curated streaming services, because movie, M-U-B-I, movie, was founded as the auteurs in 2007. I just, why did they change the name? I I'm closing my eyes and I'm like, I need this. I'm imagining I, I, the font. It's, it's, it's 
perfect. Um, it was founded in 2007 by F.A. Chacarel, who was unable to watch the movie In the Mood for Love while in a cafe in Tokyo. It, did That's we it. write He's ready this? to fuck shit up? <laughs> did we write this? Like this? This is this is fan fiction levels of perfection. Yeah. Uh, Wattpad couldn't even. This is way too romantic for that. I I think this is like 2005 Live Journal era. He's in a cafe in Tokyo. He wants to watch In the Mood for Love. I don't care that I don't know any other details. It must have been raining outside and there was lo-fi trip hop playing inside the cafe. It feels right. <laughs> it feels right. Yeah. Um, the auteurs rebranded in 2010 to Mubi and it is currently headquartered in London. So it is not only a globally available curated streaming platform, it is also a production company and a film distributor. So it doesn't make that kind of noise like A24 and, you know, Neon and Focus Features as like an independent studio. But some of the, the you know, releases that they're involved in and the distribution, which is like, you know, they take the films that have already been produced and help get it into theaters and, you know, do the marketing for it. They're the ones who are actually involved in taking the finished product out to uh, customers out everywhere in the world. And if you have seen uh, Holy Spider from 2023, After Sun from 2022, Crimes of the Future in 2022, uh, Academy Award winner Drive My Car uh, oh. 2022, The Worst Person in the World also from 2022, Titane. Oscar nominee. Shiva yeah. Baby, First Cow, Under the Silver Lake, and the remake of Suspiria by Luca Guadagino in 2018. These are some of the prominent movies that they have been involved in the distribution and release of. So trust me when I say Mubi knows different kinds of cinema because those are this all... This is hit after hit. Those are like gigantic titles. Those are all incredibly well-made movies of different genres. I And I really appreciate that movie has taken this opportunity in its distribution process to kind of give you that faith of like, hey, we know cinema, you know? So they, in addition to the streaming service, they also publish a film criticism and news publication called Notebook. And um, they also provide a service called Movie Go, which gives its members weekly cinema tickets to selected new release films in select theaters and cities only. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, so as you can see, Movie really has that fit and feel of like, I love cinema, I love new types of cinema because the notebook also features editorial content from movie staff and other contributors. They I just pulled it up. It commentary. looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it includes commentary, it includes reviews. It's like a civil word version of film Twitter or how it used to exist. So, uh, movie, they know cinema. So let's do a quick rundown, a tech review of the movie offering itself as a streaming service. I think you won't find the same level of features and functionality with the Netflixes and 
uh, HBO Max. I was about to say, but it's Max now. Ugh. Uh, but, you know, it's not out there trying to compete with any of the other streaming services on that level. So let's just get that out of the way right away. So movie is available in over 190 countries, um, 190. So that's pretty cool that they try to keep it a global service. Um, you can obviously access the app on your computer browser. Uh, it's also supported on Android TV, Chromecast, Roku devices, other living room devices like your PlayStation, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, LG and Samsung smart TVs, and your mobile devices, including iPhone, iPad, and Android. So I think from that basic level, it does a pretty good job of being like a fully robust tech availability in terms of like what platform you can enjoy movie on. And we always say we make it a point to talk about availability because it's important, especially for smaller services. This is a feat for them to make all of this you know, uh, all of these availability across platforms um, Yeah, with that price. So from a cost perspective, it is on the pricier side. It's $12.99 a month. It can be discounted to $95.88 if you pay for a year upfront. And you can also avail of a student discount for $7.99 a month. And that's a pretty good deal, especially if you are in college for film studies or film school or something um, and you can do a two-week free trial uh, you have to enter your payment details but you are um, allowed to do a two-week free trial if you want to see if this is the service for you uh, you can also add it to your Amazon Prime video service as a supplemental channel. So I think that's particularly smart because it means that they can offload a lot of the you know, technical side of support to Amazon instead and gain quite a huge audience from everybody who has access to Amazon Prime. The ease of, yeah, sometimes signups can keep people, like that can be a barrier, you know, like typing yeah. on your device with your TV remote or whatever. The ease of Amazon integrations is actually the, I cannot even say the magnitude of what it solves for smaller streaming services. Yeah, one less set of like username and password to remember. So pretty good for sure so if you sign up for movie go you obviously receive all of the features and functionality that a regular movie account would get you but with movie go at $17.99 a month um, you also get the weekly cinema tickets to selected new release films in Chicago Denver Los Angeles New York City Portland San Francisco and Seattle no idea if they're planning to expand all of this, but I think it's pretty much limited to where independent cinema distribution is seeing a robust audience. So if more theaters are willing to support independent movies, I'm sure a movie would be happy to expand this to uh, other cities. This is cool. So it's a MoviePass competitor, AMC, uh, StubHub competitor, but not really because it's not focusing. Really. It's found its niche. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely not going to get a ticket to like Spider-Man, the next movie that features the word home in it. I can't keep track of it, but do you know what I mean? It's not going to send yeah. you to like a huge theater release. You're not going to see Fast 11 or another Marvel movie. It will definitely be like 
Jane Campion's next movie. Um, it would, like, I hate going back to Bojack Horseman, but Kelsey Jannings, the director of Secretariat, who makes, like, small, thoughtful indie dramas about lesbians recycling, that would be a movie that you would go see with movie go. With movie. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So makes total sense. Yeah. Um, you can watch on up to five devices, so you can have five concurrent sign-ins, but I think only two screens can play at the same time, which is a limitation, I think, yeah, but I don't know if this is something that a lot of people care about, because Mubi has the limitation of, like, only one viewing profile. So, uh, this could be a missed opportunity, you know, like multiple profiles would allow more people to sign up because it is quite a chunk of change for the price but it also means that you get to share this with other people and and save on that but maybe the offering itself is very much about trying to learn who you are as a person and so because of that curated aspect it may not make sense to have multiple profiles you know what 100%. i mean they're not going yeah. off the algorithm so they might be also like you are probably the only one in your pod that's interested in this and you can be the word of mouth for us so thank you oh yeah i would definitely say that movie is a type of like you know that one friend who would get movie in our case we are the one friend that yeah would get we are the two friends. um <laughs> but like we would definitely be checking this out on our own to have like a, a solo experience and watching this and really feeling it before we recommend it to other people like these are the types of movies you want to watch on your own before you share it with other people so i'm protective like that about my viewing experience i don't know if other people no, are as i well, get it but... no yeah <laughs> okay um, back to tech specs. Um, it is supported in Chromecast and Apple AirPlay. So if you do have a huge screen that you want to project these beautiful cinema onto, you can. They offer what, 1080p streaming and offline downloads on mobile devices. So it's also possible to watch these, you know, on a plane somewhere or somewhere that you don't have mobile data at. So that's pretty good. The playback screen has pretty standard features. You have a play and pause button, volume slider. You have a video progress bar that you can scrub through and a language and subtitle toggle. They definitely encourage you to watch international cinema in the language that it is made in. So they really um, do not push for dubbing. So hey, I listen, appreciate they were that. They were called the auteurs. They're not messing with that, you know? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, this is, of course, uh, a, a debate that is endless, especially within the anime community. The whole subs versus dubs is, like, its own ongoing fight that I firmly come out in the sub side for. But I, I think that movie has that singular vision in its product to be able to put the, its foot down and say I don't care about providing different dubs like you're missing the point of the service um, it has that room to do that where like Netflix doesn't you know what I mean um, Here, here's the thing that I'm gonna say that we talk about all the time identity while the big streaming services are diluting their identity trying to find the next big thing these smaller services, I mean, we've talked about it with Screenbox and Shutter too. They know yeah. their identity. 
Exactly. And that was another thing when I was reading how they don't have any parental control tools and it doesn't list parental ratings for any of the movies that are on there. Again, I was thinking they don't care about trying to appeal to families or minors or anything like that. That they very much about like adults who want to see cinema because you don't really care if you're by yourself to check out what the rating of something is. You're and and I'm talking about the MPAA rating as in, you know, PG, G, PG-13, R, NC-17, things like that. You'll see content on like Netflix and Max say TVMA that's for mature audiences and stuff. Movie does not bother with that because they're not trying to cater to any audience besides it's a very very crystal clear uh, core user. So there isn't also a, a lot of like other fluff that you would get to see in terms of you know what you want to add to your list to play. You just have like a, a want to watch list and a, a continue watching. So there isn't anything that allows you to create like curated playlists for example like a spotify version of movie but this could be something that i feel like would be the next step for them in terms of feature functionality like oh, yeah. having a spotify playlist version of movies uh movie on demand where you're like uh, sad girl vibes for a tuesday afternoon and it's just like maybe you four or five movies that would be really cool <laughs> i'm in i'm in <laughs> it basically categorizes all of the films that it has in its uh, in its library into a now showing section and a full library so the now showing uh, actually changes every day it includes like 30 movies that they're trying to highlight and the library have, contains like the movies that were previously in the now showing section that it has subsequently rotated out of. Uh, movie basically does not have the same approach to streaming rights as a lot of other streaming services do. So for each title, it varies in how long movie has the streaming rights for it. So it's not set. I think a lot of people in the US understand this concept more than internationally because like certain things are available in Netflix internationally that are not available in uh, Netflix in the US, for example. So because there's fewer streaming services that serve uh, other countries. So I think this mostly will affect a lot of the customers in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's got a semi decent film classification process in terms of like being able to search for what movies you like. It supports like search functionalities on the name of the movies themselves, and uh, there isn't a lot in terms of searching for like directors and actors necessarily. It's very much focused on the titles of the movies, uh, but they do have classification tags like adaptations, debuts, first look, uh, the new auteurs is a tag as well. Uh, so there's a, there's, I think a, a very artistic, like decent classification process that lets you know, like what vibe you're going for rather than a straight look at just genre, which is, I think again, a very cinephilic way to look at, look at films. 
And um, the last thing that I want to touch on for Movie, it's really fun. There's a community feature where users can create these different like lists that they have, like I was talking about. It's not quite with the Spotify where you can just start playing the movies according to what's in there because the lists that they allow people to create are like the lists on Letterboxd, right? It's just a collection of films regardless say, of where they're streaming This is very akin to Letterboxd. Interesting. Yeah. This is not a sparse service. This, they, they're, they've got some full set yeah. of features. Because people can follow lists and they can follow the other users and they can add comments to the list and stuff. So there is some interaction. So um, overall, I would say that for a curated streaming service, it the, the features that it lacks doesn't make it feel like it's fallen behind in terms of offering because it, it, it understands its target audience really well and is not trying to bog itself down with expensive things that they have to keep up with that they don't really see their end users engaging with in terms of like how it enhances their experience within the curated movie streaming service environment so overall i would say a very well thought out tech offering as well okay let's talk about the criterion collection or the criterion channel the streaming side of criterion so what is criterion why do douchebags like me us <laughs> have a C sticker or logo that's you know gray and white on their devices and act like total jerks again us <laughs> kidding guys criterion is amazing very accessible not just for jerks like us no, um but jerks like us love the criteria <laughs> criteria yeah. Also, Official... their logo does look a lot like Comedy Central's logo, so it's always fun when you're it's a fan of both. Like 100%. <laughs> Criterion is official description is that it's a mega distribution company that focuses on licensing, restoring and distributing important classic and contemporary films. So that's uh, Criterion started with and its main purpose remains uh, licensing and restoring and distributing, as it says here. So oh, I think it's like the film collection. preservation, right? It's exactly. a film preservation society. So it is. It also tries to focus itself as a library and not just um, a, a streaming service. I think it's very much focused on uh, being able to preserve particularly out-of-date film formats. So they digitize yeah. a lot of things so that uh, movies aren't just lost to time. So you could watch things that were made like 100 years ago and see it in extremely good quality and have a newfound appreciation for how far filmmaking has come and you know the magic of cinema and that's what Criterion wants you to focus on and not just uh, making money from people watching movies over and over again. Yeah, 100%. It's produced and distributed more than 1,000 special editions of its films in VHS, Betamax, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, and Ultra HD Blu-ray formats and box sets. Uh, fun Betamax, fun fact, oh, it's, Betamax. it's keeping it all. It's keeping Amazing. it all. Amazing. 
it's very dedicated to the actual like physical collection of movies as well. But today we're going to talk about the streaming side of the business. Uh, in general, this Criterion began in 1984, uh, founded by Robert Steen, Aline Steen, Joe Mechuk, and all of uh, who la who later were joined by Roger Smith. So four people are involved here. The Steins, along with uh, Jonathan Torell and William Becker, founded another company, Voyager. Again, the names are amazing here. Autors, Voyager, you know to publish educational CDs and Criterion became like a little part of, of Voyager. Fast forward eight years, Voyager name was dissolved as it happens and Robert Steen uh, stepped out and the rest of the three remained as owners of Criterion. The Criterion collection entered the VOD space with a partnership with Mubi in 2008. Look at that. Yeah. In so movie was actually first to the game. Can you believe that? In 2011, they switched to Hulu Plus exclusively, distributing their movies to Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus is Hulu Plus still alive? That's retired as a name, right? Oh yeah, that's not an offering yeah. anymore because you yeah. don't have access to Hulu um, without paying for it. Hulu Plus was basically the paid version where you could see things without oh. ads and have extra access to things and. Uh, without a Hulu Plus account, all you could watch was just like what was on the network television and NBC, Fox, um, and CBS, the and ABC, the, you know, the channels that yeah. surround the Hulu conglomerate. Yeah, you're and, paying for ads still too, baby, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's where we used to watch episodes of Community when it was airing on NBC. I know that's what I used Hulu for. And with Hulu Plus, I could have watched the same thing just without the commercial. And then they changed partnerships again with Filmstruck by Turner as uh, their partner in 2016. They had to change some years later and try to find another space digitally to stream when WB shut down Filmstruck. Filmstruck didn't last and WB being a master of decision making as we they've, know. As they've been to. friends to the art of cinema for such a long time. like. From uh, doing blackface with the jazz singer all the way up to just everything oh, that David Zaslav is doing now. It's just been just. Um, all bangers. <laughs> Freaking Kendall Roy style. <laughs> I'm the oldest, Raven. Okay. Um, Criterion Collection began to provide, they did not They did not want to leave the VOD space because they knew that it was working well, people were engaging with it. So they decided, to launch their own service, the Criterion Channel, on November 16th, 2018. Let's go into the overview of the streaming service Criterion Channel. Raven is laughing at me because I am eating Cheez-Its and she thinks it's uncouth. It's terrible behavior while we talk about It's simply detestable, <laughs> darling. The lack of table manners you're showing over here is the sort of ludicrous display of a hopeless bourgeoisie taste. It's not acceptable for the Christ. I'll be, I'll be Ratatouille over here. You can be Anton Ego. You know what I mean? <laughs> We make things accessible to the masses. Okay, so cost-wise, speaking of accessible, cost-wise, Criterion Channel is actually a little bit cheaper than movie. So $10.99 per month or $99.99 per year. And uh, it doesn't seem like there's like a discount if you sign up for annual like movie had. 
some movies are only available uh, for physical purchase and not on streaming and vice versa. So you'll see Criterion being very dedicated to the art of preservation. It, if you buy a Blu-ray of something, it does not guarantee that it will be on streaming. And if you watch something on streaming, uh, it does not guarantee they'll have a Betamax of that, you know? Um, so that's something to note. It is available on all devices except PlayStation 4, which we've noticed a theme, right? We, like the PlayStation 4 app is just being alienated across a lot of services. The, the cheez-its of uh, living room <laughs> devices. No, I think it's probably I... just a, a technical compatibility issue. Um, yeah. Maybe there's just an issue with like the the PlayStation apps and streaming with the PlayStation 4. But like you're poor if you have a 4. There's a PlayStation 5, oh my god. So yeah, um, just get PlayStation 5, I guess. You're already springing for the Criterion collection, Mr. Yeah, Fancy yeah. Cheez-Its. <laughs> Put a little brie on top, you know what I mean? Put oh, a little yeah. balsamic vinegar. Uh, some parsnips, mi microgreens, a little beluga caviar. Just... Oh, that actually sounds really good. Some devices actually may run into... So here's, a th here's where the preservation stuff comes in. So on some devices, it may not stream due to their digital rights management and high bandwidth digital content protection. So DRM and HBDCP, what they refer to as, as you know, with acronyms, because of these on, on devices like Chromebook, it is not that common, but users have faced issues where there will be an error that we cannot stream this due to DRM or, you know, high bandwidth digital. I love that kind of gatekeeping. You are not going to be able to watch this in the experience of the filmmaker intended you to. So rather than watching a grainy version of this, you just can't watch it at all. Like Christopher Nolan yeah. is salivating. Again, we, you know, identity, they know who they are uh, and they're not trying to be anyone else. It's noted, um, actually there's like on the FAQ page, they explain all of this and quote, protecting content as it travels across connections from a computer to a streaming service or a streaming device to a TV or monitor is of utmost importance to them. Interesting, I did not know this, Raven. Only available in US and Canada, as opposed to the 190 countries that movie uh, is available in. But content does come from all over the place, currently 55 countries, and goes as far back as 19, the 1920s. There is a two week, 14 day free trial, uh, same as movie. Number the user base again, you know, we know that streaming services are notorious and not, you know, releasing their data and their engagement data, their revenue, their user base. But it is surmised that it is around 300,000 people that are current subscribers of Criterion. I think Mubi is at 10 million because it's a much more global service, so that's yeah. something. That, that disparity makes sense, but I think yeah. in terms of just being available in only the US and Canada, these are relatively decent numbers, but yeah, they probably do want to see a little bit more growth over the next couple of years because a yeah. lot of their revenue uh, is probably around, like spending that revenue is around that preservation process and 
putting things into a physical format, which I believe more and more people should get into. Yeah. That's probably why they're they're okay right now. They're, you know, coasting a little bit with the streaming side of the business because they know that they have great power on the physical restoration side. Only three simultaneous streams at a time, again, same as Mubi. I think Mubi you mentioned had two, but they don't offer profiling capability. So only one profile if you're one user, right? Like they, with, yeah, they don't care about offering another profile creation capability. No parental controls. And uh, I did notice that accessibility was fairly lacking. And what I mean by that, I, I usually notice this in terms of like, the adjusting of subtitles as you see you know like changing of fonts changing of backgrounds as the subtitles come up it's very bare bones they're offering it but it's very bare bones same same as movie they offer subtitles but that's about it you don't have a lot of customization or a lot of support around for example closed captioning which is i think what you're talking about in terms of accessibility um, this may just be yeah. because they don't have the the teams to be able to do that and they yeah. can't justify the expenditure based on their current subscriber count. So. so in terms of the interface, and I'm going to concentrate mostly on the web, like the desktop bigger interface, playback feature highlights. Uh, so when you log on to Criterion channel, you'll see a very familiar sort of construct for the page, which, you you know, the top nav, you'll see like home, now showing, criterion.com, all films, whatever. You you can navigate to these different options within the nav. Then you'll have the full screen, basically takeover of the content tile that they're promoting, like the five or six movies that they are actually promoting. And you'll see the posters of these movies along with maybe a description or, you know, way that you can click and actually start watching these movies. What I noticed is that most of the services, streaming services, while they're follow the same kind of construct and design, Criterion actually does not even show what's under the carousels, you know, the, the actual, like under the promoted content. It's literally full screen takeover on my, uh, when I played around on Amazon Fire, on my Amazon Fire TV. So interesting, they have trust that you're just gonna scroll down below the fold and interact with with more content below the promoted content. So yeah, so you will see the carousels under the promoted content and these carousels will have titles such as recent collections, mini hubs within them directed by David Lynch or Julie Taymor's Adventures in Movie Going, Criterion Editions and Popular Documentary and Art House America or other other types of carousels. What I loved, and I love, and you know this about me, when you scroll down, it seems to be an infinite scroll. It just kind of keeps going. Uh, (laughs) You do love a good infinite scroll, for sure. I do, I do love an infinite scroll. Uh, It might not be, it might just be actually looping. It might actually be looping, so it might be resurfacing the carousels over and over again instead of having you scroll back up. Uh, Performance was okay. It was very reminiscent of Shutter for me. Not the fastest, especially I think most things as you go on search, as you are like scrolling down and things are taking their time to load. Three to five seconds, which is quite a bit, but not terrible. I would say. Not like Roku level. 
I think they they have like a basic requirements for being able to satisfy the end user, but not like baby them in terms of like, hey, I know you're so impatient to get to our content, so here you go. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to like. Your eyes are not hungry. You know what I mean? They they know what to look at. Uh, you can navigate to all films from the top nav. So all films is their catalog. It's it's basically like a library system, very simplified. If you've ever played around with your local library system on Libby or Overdrive, the Libby is really fun to play with. Very clean. You can you see the titles, uh, you see the year, and you see I believe directed by. So only three columns, and you can just scroll this catalog. And there's like a sort and filter on the top right. The title, director, and year are in this table. So all films is a very clean experience. I will say one of the things that really stood out to me was like, the, and same with movie, right? Like it's very. I don't know if it's in my mind, Raven, but when I go on these experiences, it's very like serious and muted. Do you know what I, like there's I think grays, so. there's it's, blacks, there's whites. I think the 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 infrastructure of the UI is like that because they want you to focus on the content. Because yeah. the most eye-catching parts of both of these websites are stills from the movies that you can watch on there. So it's very much trying to get you to focus on the real art. It's not about making the iconic tadam sound that Netflix has at the <laughs> yes. beginning. Of all of its uh, presentations, uh, you know, it's it's a different type of marketing. I think yeah. in terms of what you're targeting people with, this is the perfect thing. It's like we know you came here for the movies, so ha having those interesting stills to highlight the mood, the lighting, the cinematography, the shot placement, and everything that goes into making every frame a painting, so to speak. That's what they want you to focus on when they come into the website, and not about how interactive and intuitive the you know site architecture is. Speaking of intuitive, Criterion actually does not lack here. I did notice that it was uh, savvy and crisp in some of the some of the clicks and the some of the transitions and experiences. I really loved, especially on the all films page when you have the sort and filter. Uh, and you interact with the filter. Obviously, there's so many filters. As I mentioned on the table, you can only see three things, title, director, and year. You you can apply like country filters. But when you interact with the filter, it opens from like, you know, the right to left script sort of manner. It opens in like a really like shimmery way. Um, this little like filter interactive there's something it evocative. It's something evocative of a library, I think, in all of its user experience, where you're meant to feel like you're going into archives of sorts and pulling something out for your viewing pleasure. I do find that the UX of the Criterion Collection kind of capitalizes on that romantic notion of loving stories for where they take you and not just it's a way to kill a few hours so what a beautiful i love that like where they take you because it is like my eye is drawn to very much like the journey you know when the filter opens this sounds so cheesy but when the filter is opening i'm like ooh, ooh, what's in the next second what what is it gonna do it's very listen they could have just 
a filter could just be a table where you like check and uncheck and then click done, but they spend time on it because most people interact with this filter and I really appreciated that. Same with search. I really like the search experience. They know people are searching for content on Criterion and it opens as a gorgeous overlay. I will say the design was lovely, but you know what else was impressive? They actually made it a great search. So they are, when I typed in 1970, for example, they're pulling in titles that have 1970 in the, in the title and also films from 1970 across, you know, different countries and Oh! I thought that that is savvy search, you know? Yeah, that's definitely a higher level of um, search optimization than in movie. So that is, I would say, a big differentiator. Yeah, very, very impressed with that. I don't even think like Hulu has that kind of capability in their search, but... Um, and I will call out the last thing on the nav is now playing. Um, so you'll see search, all films, and then now playing. Now playing expands upon the carousels that you see in home. You'll see a lot more organization in this content. So you'll see uh, in this in this section. So you'll see leaving this month, which might be topical things like day after Trinity to honor Oppenheimer release. Both movie and the Criterion Collection have like a now playing section, very reminiscent of going to a small independent art house theater Isn't somewhere that cute? in yeah. a small town. It, I, I do love this like romanticization of these these simple concepts. What can I say? I'm a dark academia kind of girly, so I do love the idea of like finding movies the same way that you would find like a really interesting old book in a, a dusty corner of the library somewhere and like being really careful with the way you handle it because can you're I say to preserve it? it? <laughs> the bookstore aspect was also very clear because when you hover on the content tiles, I did see some content or uh, some stories will have just like the actual description you know directed by this person in 1970 this story goes into and some i noticed were actual notes by the curators like you see, see in like Love a small that. independent bookshop where you see like you know the bookseller favorites and you'll see a little note i appreciated that so much and what i did not like was the playback the the, vid, the the video playback is using the vimeo player and it's yeah. very bare bones and it's just like meh same with movies Lackluster. the playback Lackluster. controls are very minimal and i think that's intentional it says sit your ass down and watch this movie stop fiddling around just pay attention to it eat cheese it's if you must but <laughs> that should be the only I'll never thing that live your hands that down. are that's the only thing your hands are involved in is eating the damn Cheez-Its as you're watching some masterpiece by Wong Kar Wai, so. This is where we'll address all your concerns about being Alfredo and Remy. 
on the sidelines watching Anton Ego, Raven, stroll around elegant circles. Question, are curated services worth it? And do they have a lasting place in the streaming ecosystem? Since the dawn of, I don't know, bartering? Giving something so you can get something of value back is, it has relied on personalization. I need something specific and I'll give you something specific that you oh, need. Oh, okay, so okay. We're, we're getting anthropological with this. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that we went from like, hey, should you bother like spending all this money on a new streaming service to be like, from the beginning of time, since time. we invented the concept of economics. I love that we went there. Let's do it. Cheez-Its are, are in there somewhere in the middle, you know, full circle. I feel this is what I was thinking about, right? We've come so far today to accomplish that like personalization aspect or feeling like things are personalized, personalized to me specifically within milliseconds, generating thousands of pieces of content as you scroll, you know, that you might watch, might interact with, might buy, might... I don't know, give? Give is harsh. Uh, we don't do that. We don't like to give. We've talked about recommendations and algorithms a lot in the past episodes, you know, I think specifically in our new streaming landscape where we address TikTok and YouTube, um, part of streaming ecosystem as well. Here's where we are today though, it's too much. You have too much to browse and too much thrown at you. And guess what? Time still remains a non-renewable resource. So how do you establish and, establish and sustain a one-to-one -one connection with the customer, the personalized connection, quote unquote, with the customer, while giving them satisfaction and engagement and not boring them as you also try to let them discover something new? Curation. <laughs> right? A human touch, a little light human touch. And that actually does feel personalized. That does not feel heavy. That does feel like, oh, instead of the hundred things that are thro being thrown at me, it's two things. It's three things that are still recommended to me. And I've been a proponent and Raven's been a proponent of, of word of mouth being one of the most powerful and staggeringly effective product marketing strategies that really get people to action on a behavior while seeing content you know what i mean while you see content that algorithms recommend to you i think word of mouth have the power of actually actioning on that on you click and watch when you know someone close to you or someone in your life recommends something and yeah while other strategies ignite a thought word of mouth really gets the job done so I absolutely think this gem of a corner of streaming curation is worth the money and normie streamers, as we mentioned earlier, are dabbling into tiny curated hubs of their own, right? Like during special times of the year, holiday collections, AAPI month. So Raven, tell us a little bit about why curated services are working, why they're worth it and what yeah. they add to the streaming landscape today. I mean, it was very bleak to hear you say that normie streamers literally have to remind you that uh, black people and Asian people and women make movies in the appropriate months for them. Uh, Michelle Yeoh to... curated this collection, guys. You know, watch it. Like, those kind of things. I don't think that happens in normal streaming services. It's literally just any content that has to do with a vague 
tangible AAPI connection. I do know for a fact that um, I think it was Max that included Jennifer's body for AAPI month. And I was so flabbergasted by that, that it took me about a whole minute to remember that it was directed by Karen Kosama. And that's probably why they included it in AAPI month, which again, like I get that, but Karen Kasama is an excellent director. Yes, she's an ex like a really important member of the AAPI community in film and television. Why is Jennifer's body being included in it? And that's because it's just pulling things off of like straight data, you know? Like, oh, okay, the director is a person of Asian heritage, so we have to include it in AAPI month collection. And oh my that, goodness. That yeah. is the type of thoughtlessness that I think people want to escape with like the curated services because there's also just this concept that I get of like going to the movies and being served omakase, you know? The yeah. chef serves you what they recommend and you get to understand what they appreciate about food and making food and preparing it because they're familiar with it. It's their job, it's their duty. They appreciate something that we may not have, I don't know, like thought about or be like aware about. I love seeing people who are associated with like soft dramatic movies, for example, just say that they love um some disgusting body horror movie from like the 1970s because uh it helped them get through like puberty or something like that you know because i like that that there's a personalization we're tired of being told by the algorithm that they know us based on you know what everybody else is watching as well because it's not just trying to get to know you as an individual it's keeping tab on metrics across the platform so whatever a lot of people are watching you will get recommended that in your in your age range geography with your same device yeah yeah exactly and that can feel a little depersonalized right it's like oh it's it's very irritating to have to be treated sort of as a broad spectrum of demographic information rather than an individual. And I think that curation makes it personal, not to the person receiving it, but from the person that it comes from. And I think that's special. It's like when you're being given something by somebody you really love, what you're being given isn't necessarily what's important. It's the sentiment that's attached to it. And I think that's that's the approach. But let's just talk about market fit. Again, it to me, this feels like a lot of the people who wear vintage clothes instead of buying from contemporary fashion. A, they aren't concerned about keeping up with what's new and what's trendy. If someone who really knows movies has chosen something for me, I trust their decision. You know, it's like having your you know foodie friend I... take you to a restaurant. It's so true. Remember, uh, the decision fatigue is real and also like things being thrown at you with algorithms. Remember Netflix's feature, uh, Surprise Me or Shuffle, whatever they were calling it. It was it's called Surprise Me, yeah. Surprising yeah. it. They, it did not work. They retired it pretty pretty fast because 
you're being surprised by an algorithm, not like your, I don't know, not your friend or not your colleague who, you know, recommends Stranger Things to you before you had heard of it, you know, because they know you like horror. You know what I mean? Like, it's just very cold and it didn't work and there's a reason. And I think they did not understand that reason. It's not personal. So again, it's like the decision is not being made particularly efficiently by the platform. So I have to make the decision and eh, I don't feel like doing that. And I also, I don't know what I don't know. If I'm trying to learn more about movies and television, or if I'm trying to learn about the art of a specific genre of cinema, I don't know where to look. <laughs> Sometimes people really have to go in and say, what are the top 20 horror movies? Uh, and just go through them to be like, hey, I don't know much about horror as a genre. I feel really left out. Maybe because I picked up some really bad movies. In the beginning. But I want to know more. I want, to, I want know more, to know yeah. more. I want to be educated on it. And I feel like that's another another role that curated services. And I feel especially something like the Criterion Collection where it works on preservation. I, it's just people who are exposed to one type of cinematic language. They may not know how things evolved or how movies were before. And... Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to go back and, and see things and that preservation may lose its ground as things are becoming more and more digitized. It's like, oh, there's one central cachet for it. And if the studio decides to take it off the streaming service, you're cooked. I just, I, I really like that you brought up the, the Shudder comparison because like Shudder and Screenbox are also like niche uh, streaming services the uh, Acorn TV and BritBox are also count as niche services they really know what their audience is guess what so. we've covered them covered them both Shutter, <laughs> Screenbox Acorn TV and BritBox yeah yeah and, and, and that idea of like oh it has a, a specific audience and it's not trying to like make a big tent in in terms of like trying to water something down so that everybody likes it it's about uh increasing accessibility by putting everything in one place and making it easy to get to it's not about saying i talk about this in my day job and i'm sure you do as well raven when the systems or capabilities or features enable an action that you want the customers to take 90% of the time, it just flows through without any kind of like yelly marketing. Do you know what I mean? When the barriers are lowered and the systems are just like enabling you to take an action, it happens. You change the behavior slowly of the customers. Whereas if you don't give them the capability and you're surprised the customer is not doing three things to get to this hidden page. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it, it just all flows through when you're giving them access and you're like taking away the barriers. And it's very important to look yeah. at this landscape. That clear product identity, it's like hot topic. Do they really need to advertise? No. The gods, the freaks, the emos, and the sluts, whoever are the four quadrants, we all know about Hot Topic. They don't need to like advertise it for us to go there because that brand identity is so clear. And I think with these curated streaming services, that's what they're targeting people with, is that identity. And 
because of which I feel like it's not an endless content machine. They're not just throwing like millions of dollars away into something that they're scrambling to put together because they need to bring in new people. It's like, this is our mission. You sign up to our service for the mission. Yes, your outlook can be very narrow if you experience media through a major streaming service because you are not seeing things that are made beyond a certain scope. You may not know about movies made in Weimar, Germany, because that was a long time ago. You may not know about movies made in like 1970s and 80s uh, Soviet Union, because that was a long time ago. Okay, understood. But you have the internet now. You have the ability to go and look for those things. And having it in one place and giving that access is what I feel truly, truly makes this um rise above a cut and if you find yourself like not really engaging with content anymore it may be because netflix pushes cinema and television to be content so you're just having it run in the background somewhere while you're you know making dinner or doing your dishes or doing your laundry and these curated streaming services to, are here to say like hey remember why you love movies Final thoughts and wrap up. How can curated streaming services garner a larger audience and grow? So let's talk about the cultural shift in movie consumption that is happening because of curated streaming services. So we've talked about this before uh, in the intro in part one and part two, we've talked about people feeling alienated by streaming services by the coldness of the algorithmic quote-unquote personalization slash depersonalization. Um, what that has led to, a, a fertile ground for services such as Letterboxd, which really emerged in a time where people felt alienated with the confusing and unreliable ecosystem of ratings platforms. <laughs> Good for them. But this, this, this is the same thing is happening uh, in this streaming landscape. We want more human touch here. And this, uh, and what, you know, the, the word that I like to use is democratization, but the democratization of things that might be niche and out of your reach in a normal environment, it's actually giving you access to, to them. So an example, for example, for movie and criteria, it's prestige, international, or tour content, which you never thought about watching maybe. Now with a free trial, you're like, you know, let's check it out. You know, like I'm too overwhelmed by Netflix and Hulu. I'm just gonna check it out. What's what's on here? I'm gonna see three things in this carousel and you know, I'm gonna see what's what these services are all about. Very powerful to have these services offer up things to you that you felt you weren't, for the lack of a better phrase, good enough for. Do you know what I'll, I mean? I'll, I'll put this in a simpler way. It's cheaper than getting a degree in film studies from NYU. Yes. Yes. As Even more accessible. As expensive <laughs> as you think they may be for the monthly fee, 
it's still cheaper than paying for a film studies degree at NYU. Or any other You know, this actually, actually goes into the tech in our world as well, Raven. Uh, how you get a computer engineering degree and you study MATLAB and like code in MATLAB for, you know, hours and like years and years. And then you go to a boot camp for three months or six months in, co in like JavaScript and take all these classes in data, data science. And you learn a lot more of what's being used in companies today than your four year expensive college degree. It's a lot about just like giving access to things that are current and democratizing them for yeah. people. And not, not necessarily, not, yeah. not necessarily with the, like the, the view of like using it to monetize for skills. Like you're not going to go and start making movies by watching these for sure. But I think that a more educated film audience will also result in better films being made because audiences are hungry for something that stimulates their interest besides just having something projected into their eyeballs for 30 minutes or yeah, yeah. i two things i also wanted to talk about so i brought this up i think when we were chatting off mic uh, the what the access does to you know quote unquote prestige out of reach content is you can be part of the conversation it's no longer for the top critics at New York Times or top critics at, you know, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. It's for you. You add to the conversation your unique thoughts about what's happening in the zeitgeist. And I, I watch this Spanish channel. It's called Buenísimo Bien. Uh, and I believe um, YouTuber Enar Alvarez was talking about how Tar really did not impress her. And this was the first critique of Tar that I'd heard that was negative. Everything else was all about like Tar is amazing, Lydia Tar, and what a, what a movie. And this person was actually looking at it from a different lens of she's seen this thread of men behind the lens making women slowly um, untrustworthy and this insidious th theme she brought up the movie The Hunt with, by starring Mads Mikkelsen that actually won uh, I believe the Palme d'Or and it was an interesting whether or not you agree with it but that opinion has a place in the discussion because it's unique it's a lens that we've never seen before and a new person through a new medium who had access to watch these movies and form their own thoughts I, I found that very powerful yeah, it's and... the new kind of evolution of critique where people uh, perform for video essays rather than just articles because obviously being able to contextualize what you're saying with the right imagery helps make a very powerful point sometimes, especially to highlight things like the techniques that you're talking about that make you feel a certain way about a character. It's very important to have that platform, but I think having the platform like YouTube has given rise to people being able to talk about a movie besides the binary of I liked it or I didn't like it or watch it or don't go watch it. It's very much like a, a space for nuance has come up in criticism. And yeah. because of that, people are a lot more open to seeing different types of things, so to speak. Incredible. 
I also wanted to write up something that I've been hearing a lot about is the Vulture article that came out, which is could a true streaming bundle be upon us? And we've talked about it before, how everything is going towards bundling, Disney, ESPN, Hulu, all of that. And people are looking at, there's like rumors of like, is Apple going to buy this company, you know, this streamer and this streamer. And that really, I think that's a separate discussion in, in and of itself. But I will say it really goes to the theme of customers are fatigued, customers want simplicity. And what and with these services, with you know, stuff that we've mentioned, niche services and stuff like Criterion movie today, that's not gonna be a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know how it was a bad idea when Yahoo bought Tumblr? This would be the equivalent of Yahoo buying Tumblr. If someone tried to buy the streaming service version of um, hipster glasses and mustache tattoo people watching movies, they would lose so much money because people would would dump it. They would not give a shit about these curated movie services if it was underwritten by Amazon. That's like... Oh, hell no. Makes no sense. Yeah, Please, please no. And from Uh, a profit perspective, Amazon would not... And I'm using Amazon as an example, but other companies do not see the profit in this. They don't see it as something subscribers that right now. Yeah. Well, it's not just that they can't pump out content. They can't get advertiser revenue. They can't get a lot of what they make their money back from. Oh, did we mention there's no ads, guys? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I called that out for criteria. There's no ads anyway. There are no. There are no ads. I mean. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see consolidations happen with the big eight streamers, that I'm sure of, but I think these smaller streamers will remain very safe yeah, with their sa- similar identity and customers will have like... They will remain independent. I think the way for them to grow is to invest in the product itself. I think that this is a particularly good time to put out marketing for these types of curated collections because the oh, focus yes. isn't on new content. It's on old content because there's a strike going on. Hey, if you want to watch something without like disrupting the talks around uh, the WGA and SAG strikes about specifically streaming, you can support these streaming services who are not included in this awful narrative around the MPTP like fucking over creatives because they don't want them to get paid for all of the content that they're trying to make on the cheap for these streaming services. Watch things that were made by people who really cared about what they were making. Maybe it's not good or great in objective senses, but it is authentic. It reflects the person who made it and it is very naked in its vulnerability a lot of this content because it's like it feels very personal sometimes there are a lot of movies that i have watched specifically from like young filmmakers in countries that are going through a lot of political turmoil and uh, there's a a movie from 2007 called four months three weeks two days content warning this is a movie about somebody seeking out an abortion in a country where abortion is not legal. You may have heard stories like this, but sitting in the process is so visceral and raw and terrifying that I can't honestly say that 
I liked the movie because it made me feel really bad. But do I regret watching it? Do I think it's a bad movie? No. I think it's an excellent movie. I didn't like it because it was so well made. With it's new, powerful new content to see. Yeah. New I think we've new been duped into thinking out. that you're supposed to like, oh my god, I had like such, you know, belly of laughs for three hours. I had such a great time. Reading a book can sometimes be difficult. Absorbing a story it doesn't have to be always like, uh, you know, something that you love or even like. Sometimes it's it's powerful in other senses. So some stories are difficult to engage with. And isn't it the Palm d'Or winner this year from Cannes is uh, Zone of Interest by Jonathan Glazer? If I'm not wrong, if I'm remembering correctly. But that's what I'm hearing about it, that it's a very powerful, important film to see. But Okay, uh, it's, it's just an, uh, kind of a shift back to where we were where big movie studios were not financing like interesting stories because it was all going to streaming and then streaming also became very cognizant about the finance and didn't really invest in smaller stories. I feel like if you're trying to support independent cinema, a small streaming service that curates it like this, where it's like, we're recommending it because of its merit, not because it's made a ton of money the zeitgeist that we talked about where people are starting to fall in love with cinema again and they want to watch things because they really love it that film critic evaluation of movies are coming from people who have not gone to film school and are like actively you know reviewing their biases in cinema and are trying to present an honest review of things it's it's a good time to be a curated movie service and if they could like I don't know, do something with the likes of Movie Pass, you know, with like the, the movie Ooh, go kind of movie Letterboxd? Or even Letterboxd, yeah, yeah. like the uh, the kind of what we call the, the Spotify playlistification because people are falling in love with cinema. Cinema is back again, boys. I mean, we've got a new David Fincher, a new Michael Mann coming out. It's like, back to the 90s baby yeah cinema is back so people are excited about a movie being made by a specific person starring specific people and written by a specific writer it's it's a good time to be in the auteur and oeuvre spaces so this is their moment they should seize it so let's wrap there for today uh, so next time we're going to go into video games in media and the art of adaptation from a new medium. That should be a great topic. I personally can't wait to learn more about it. Other than that, I think we're done. Until next time, full screeners. Bye. Bye, everyone.